0: Now, before I take up the second message on the subject of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to stop to say just one or two words to you. First, I do not claim to be a Bible teacher. I'm an evangelist. But, every evangelist, if his evangelism is constructive, has to have an element of teaching in his ministry. Uh... Paul wrote Timothy to do the work of the evangelist. He was to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering in doctrine and all long-suffering in teaching. No evangelistic campaigns, a constructive campaign, doesn't have any of the element of teaching. But the evangelist and the teacher are not necessarily the same person. Uh, Sometimes men are great teachers uh, who are not great evangelists and sometimes men are great evangelists who are very poor teachers. But I have always tried in my evangelistic work To underscore with the people everywhere the essential fundamentals of the faith. Now I found out it's surprising how little most professed Christians know about the essentials. How little they know about the Holy Spirit. How little they know about the atonement. How little they know about prayer and the conditions of prayer. And I'm trying here in these three messages on the Holy Spirit to give you young people a gist. The very gist of what the Bible teaches on this subject. I don't want you to be swept off of your feet. I want you to be fervent in spirit. We want your heart warm. We want your head cool. We want you to understand. The hardest thing in the world is to balance your head against your heart. Keep the two balanced. It's so easy if your heart to run away with you. Heart runs away with you, you become a fanatic. If your head runs away with you, you become cold and technical and dead. And it's possible, as for a Christian, to keep the head and heart balanced in such a way that you are sane and fervent. You don't lose your sanity, don't lose your fervency. Now that's the thing that this institution has always emphasized. You will never get in trouble if you'll stick to the essential fundamentals. People come to me all the time asking me questions about the Bible, something that's vague, something they don't understand. Maybe God doesn't want them to understand it now. There are things in the Bible that we may understand better as we go on towards the close of the age. Many things in the Bible are clear to me now that were even not clear ten years ago. Uh, World conditions have changed things. But you will never get away from the fundamentals. They never change. If you'll stick to the fundamentals, you're always right. Jesus always has been, always will be the Son of God. Jesus Christ always will be the world's only Savior. The Bible always will be God's inspired book. These things never change, and so if you'll stick to them, uh, you won't get in trouble. If other matters come up, you can be tolerant and kind about it. You know, I meet some young upstart sometime that doesn't know anything and yet thinks he knows it all. And he's putting emphasis on something that's obscure in the Bible, uh, something that he doesn't know anything about, and something that the great scholars don't agree about. I had a letter today from a, a woman. Giving me a lecture about something, position we've taken, something we didn't do. And uh, she wanted me to change our Sabbath. Wanted me to go back to Saturday instead of Sunday. Well, now, that's her privilege if she wants to go back to Saturday. But I know better. From my standpoint, I know better. And all the great Bible scholars I've ever met know better. Now, these other people, that's a free country. I don't think it's going to hurt them if they don't agree with us about that. It won't hurt us if we don't agree with them. But to see people dogmatic about something. That the great scholars, great spiritual Bible scholars don't agree about, always seem to be sort of egotistical. So this lady was writing me a long letter and asked me, said, I heard you say in one of your broadcasts to do right. And said, I want to ask you if you're doing right because you don't give a certain emphasis. I said, I would be doing wrong if I gave that emphasis. And I followed all my life that uh, plan to walk lightly when I come around some position that the great scholars don't agree about where they don't agree or whether they do agree to walk lightly now we don't want a lot of smart addicts around on this campus we don't want young fellows here that know it all but you can't be wrong about the fundamentals stick to them and you'll never get in trouble alright now back to the subject we had in the, the last chapel: the subject of the Holy Spirit I'll review for just a minute maybe somebody over there listening that wouldn't, didn't get the first message the Holy Spirit's a person now when I say a person you think of a human being a human being is a person, but a person is not necessarily a human being. A person is a self-conscious being with a free will. You see people and you think of persons when you think of people and you think of persons. But God's a person. Devil's a person. Demons are persons. Angels are persons. They're self-conscious beings with free will. Now, you're a person. You have a human form. God doesn't have your form. Jesus doesn't have your form exactly. He has his body, as I told you this morning, because he was God incarnated. But before we had this human body, he was still a person. Always has been a person. Now, the Holy Spirit's a person. When we read about the Holy Ghost, we read, have a personal pronoun. As I told you this morning in one verse, six or seven times. And then we found him equally associated with the father and the son. Uh, then we found also that things predicated of the Holy Spirit that you could not predicate of an influence. It's possible to grieve him, possible to vex him, it's possible to lie to him. Then we found this morning that the Holy Spirit's a person at work. He's at work. This earth is the stage of his operation. Jesus Christ went back to him and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He came down to die to redeem the world. That's why he came. Went back to him and sat down. He's up there our advocate in the seating force. Holy Spirit, his other self's down here. And when the Holy Spirit's here, uh, that's Jesus here in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, there's a mystical element there and all that I understand. But that's the teaching of the Bible. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have Jesus with you. Because he is one of the persons of the Trinity. Now he is here on this earth. This earth is the stage of his operation. He hovers over this earth. He restrains the forces of evil that would sweep completely over the world. Now we found this morning that his work is to convict men of sin. There's no conviction without the Holy Spirit. Any conviction that you've ever had, as far as your relation to God is concerned, was wrought by the Holy Ghost. Now we found that he, he, here in the world, not only to bring us under conviction, but here to represent Jesus Christ. And I want to emphasize again what I said to you last time. Any movement, any movement that takes the attention off of Jesus and focuses on the Holy Ghost is not of God. I don't care what you think about it, or what you say about it. The business of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus, as I told you today, clearly in the Bible. Jesus said, he shall glorify me. That's his business. Now, we found something else about it. We found the Holy Spirit convicts us, represents Jesus, and we regenerate. I told you this morning, he's a diagnostician. Comes along, diagnoses your case, tells you you're a sinner, tells you you have a disease that's going to kill you. Tells you the wage of sin is death. But he tells you you don't have to die. He tells you that he knows a physician that can make you well. And he never names up one physician, only one, and that's Jesus. He doesn't recommend a preacher to you. He doesn't tell you the church will save you. He doesn't tell you any saint will save you. He doesn't tell you you need anybody but Jesus. Now wait a minute. Anybody, anywhere, that tells you you need anybody but Jesus to save you is not talking under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Any other message is not God's message. It's a satanic message. All right, he represents Jesus. Then I told you this morning, he becomes a trained nurse if we're willing to accept Jesus, and he gives us the medicine. We're born of the Spirit. We're regenerated. He applies the regenerating, cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Now that's how far we got. Now we've taken another step. The Holy Spirit seals the Christian. Now, young folks, you and I, if we are Christian people, we are not at home. Our citizenship's in heaven. We're passing through this world. Do you ever get a little lonely? Do you ever have a sort of feeling that I'm not at home? I've felt that way many a time and I've felt that way more lately than ever before. As I watched the world, the clashing of men's ambitions, I thought of marching armies. I thought of sin. I thought of how Jesus Christ is being crowded out. And I said to myself, I'm not at home. Now that's in line with the Bible. We're in the world, but not of it. We're pilgrims and strangers on our way to our land. We're coming to our own someday, we Christian people. Now while we're in this faraway land, God sends the Holy Ghost to seal us. I accept Jesus. I'm regenerated, and then God puts a mark on me, the seal of the Spirit. I'm sealed. It's so wonderful, it just thrills you when you think about it. You know, I saw one time a great raft of logs going down a river, and I noticed all of them had a mark on the end. That was a mark of ownership. Those logs were not at home, they belonged to another place, they were on their way home. I've seen in the south great bales of cotton piled up in warehouses. All those bales of cotton were sealed, marked on the end. Those bales of cotton were in transit. Uh, they were not at home. They, they were being shipped somewhere. Now you are not at home you 're down here in this world, so God has put his mark on you if you 're a christian you 're a sealed of the holy spirit that 's the first point today. notice ephesians four hundred thirty and by the way i 'd advise you to read Ephesians and Colossians. they 're very deep sometimes, and some things will just overwhelm you in these epistles. But there's so many wonderful things. And yet, if you just listen to them, so many wonderfully simple things. Now, take this passage. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, your redemption isn't complete. Now, wait a minute. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are saved. But redemption will never be completed until the curse of sin is lifted from the body. The day of redemption is ahead of us. Now we are saved, we are Christians, we are born again. We are on our way home, but someday Jesus is coming. When he comes, he will raise the dead that died in Christ, give them immortal bodies. He will translate living saints. Now that's the day of redemption. I illustrated it like this, it wasn't original with me, but I picked it up somewhere. I go out west somewhere, here's somebody here maybe, young fella, goes out west and he buys some land. And uh, he comes back here to this country and settles down. And a few uh, years later, he marries a girl, and he said to his wife, Dear, I've got some land out west. I bought that land. Now I'm going out there, and we'll live out there. He takes his bride out to this western country, and there's a land that he bought. And and he gets out there, and somebody's in charge of it. Somebody's taking over the land. He said, This is my land. And he goes to the court and puts a man off and takes over. Now the first time, he bought that land with a price. He redeemed it with a price. This time he redeems it with power. Now when Jesus came to earth first time, he purchased us with blood. When he comes next time, he redeems us with power. He takes over his own when he comes next time. He comes back to this earth and finds here in this earth the God of the world, the devil. Evil forces at it work. It's his world. He bought it. Everything in the world belongs to him. So he takes over. We belong to him. And then he redeems us with power. Now we leave here the other day of redemption. Now the day of redemption hasn't come yet. You and I are in the body. We get tired. We get sick. We have aches and pains. We, we die sometimes. They takes us out on the cemetery and bury us. And the curse is on our body still. But when Jesus comes again, see, the day of redemption is here. And all the curse is lifted. Now before that day, God said, he's in transit. That fellow yonders belongs to me. He's down there in that world of sin and wickedness, and I put the Holy Ghost on him and seal him, put my heavenly mark on him, say, "You are a heavenly people. Christian young people and older people, listen, hold up your heads. The world may not understand you. The less it understands you, uh, the better off in some ways y'all. You're not supposed to be understood. They never understood Jesus Christ, When he's down this world, they said everything about him. They said everything apostle about him, such a contradiction of sinners, what he did and do. They didn't understand him. How would they understand him? Now how can people of the world that know nothing of regenerating grace understand you and me? If you preach, they'll say you're preaching for money. If you testify, they'll say you're a hypocrite. They won't understand you. You need not expect them to understand you. But God does. God looks over the battle of heaven and he knows his own. He said, that man yonder, that woman yonder, that person yonder, that woman out on that number home, oh, uh, she's mine. That man down yonder plowing the field, he's mine. And God looks over the earth and there's a host of people around the world. He sealed them with the Holy Ghost. Now that's the word of God. Now we are told not to grieve this Holy Spirit. We should be very kind and particular and careful because he's God's mark upon us, his seal. All right, take this passage, 2 Corinthians 1, Who also hath sealed us and given us the earnest of his spirit in our hearts. You know what earnest money is, don't you? You know what earnest money is? It's a part of the price paid down to close the contract. Contract between the Christian and God's been sealed and closed. We have the earnestness. The first payment we already received. The earnestness of the thing. The Spirit's been given to us. Take this passage. Ephesians 1.13. This is a wonderful verse. In whom ye also trusted. Now notice. You trusted. In whom you trusted. When? After that you heard the word of truth. I want to tell you preacher boy something people are not saved if the gospel isn't preached. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation of everyone that believeth. If the gospel isn't preached, people are not saved. They may join the church. They may take a stand. They may have a social service stand. They may have so many nice things about them. But the proclamation of the gospel is essential to salvation. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Now notice that what he says here. In whom ye also trusted. When? After that ye heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Now listen. In whom also after that ye believed. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I heard the gospel. I accepted the gospel. God put his mark on me. That's what that word says. I heard that Jesus could save me. And I said I'll trust Jesus. And I trust him. Then God put his mark on me. That's the word of God. That's simple, isn't it? I hope you've heard it. I know you have. Hope you've accepted it. The gospel is either the power of God unto salvation or it's the power of God unto death, too. The gospel either saves or harms. You can hear the gospel all your life and reject it. And it's a terrible thing to do. If you've heard it, you've accepted it. If you accepted it, you will see. Now take this one: Second 2 Timothy two nineteen. Nevertheless, nevertheless... The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them it is. <laughs> you may not stand well down here. You may not stand well with ecclesiastical machinery. You may not stand high in the estimation of religious forces. The worldly wise men may look with contempt upon you, but never mind what they think. Never mind what they say. I imagine the big businessman of Paul's day said he's crazy. They actually, even some of the folks that knew said much lightning had driven him mad. The world looked on him that way. When Jesus was here, they said he's beside himself. They said he's a little bit off. Not quite Norman, you know. Just a little tangent. You can't have a real dose of real honest to goodness Christianity and not have some people think that about you. You know, we are so eager to have people say, isn't he very safe? He's quite a a sane man, isn't he? Very intelligent. Oh, how that proud that makes us. But you know it's much better to have God all night look down heaven and say, Yon is a man. My foundation stands. I've still got somebody down there in that world of sin. I still have men and women that haven't bowed their knees to the false gods that men set up. I know mine. I know to whom I can look and I know who my I, I have. God has his seal upon me. Now here's the next point and I want you to listen close to this because there's nothing I've said that's going to be more important than the next point. All the controversy about the Holy Ghost gathers around this place here. All the fanaticism gathers some misunderstanding about this. Now let me make it plain. The Holy Spirit indwells every Christian. Now stop right there. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, if you are saved, you have, as you sit in that pew, in your body, the Holy Ghost. That's the Word of God. Young people, and I want you young preachers to get this, when you study the Bible, always interpret an obscure passage in the light of a clear passage. I'm so glad a great preacher told me that when I was a young man. It's kept me out of trouble through the years. Most of the false religions in this country are built around obscure passages. Most of the wild stuff that men talk about is built upon some passage isn't clear. I remember one time I ran to the fellow that said to me, he said, you know, when you die that injury, that's the end of you, you're buried. And I said, well, how do you get there? Well, he said, the, the Bible says that dead know not anything. I said, no, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says a man said that. Now, here's a man that said the dead, know not anything, and God's Holy Ghost put in the Bible the statement that the man said the dead, know not anything. But God didn't say it. I've said so many times, the Bible's a book made up of what God said, what man said, what the devil said. Now, what God said is true. What man said may be true or may not be true. But it's true that man said what the Bible says he said. What the devil said is usually false because he's a father of lies. Now, for instance, Paul said in one place, uh, I speak as a man. I'm giving you my opinion. This is what I think about. I have no revelation from God. I don't claim that this is a divine revelation. I'm simply writing my opinion. Now, the Holy Ghost put in the Bible what Paul said he thought. And you can accept it or leave it. He probably was right about it. But that's what he said about it. Now when the devil comes along, he said, All a man hath he'll give for his life. He's a liar. I know some men that have something more valuable than life itself. Devil's a liar. But when God speaks, and you always know when God's speaking, always get the context. Now when God speaks clearly on something, then you don't go around and find an obscure passage and try to pick it to pieces. Interpret that obscure passage like the passage clear. Now here's a perfectly clear passage i read to you. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, wait a minute. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. That's as clear as day. Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. We know the context here. Now, if you have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, you're saved. And you're not saved if you don't have him. And you don't have to get out and beg the Holy Ghost to come into you. He's already there. And the fanaticism and wildfire and all sorts of stuff in this country. All of it's going out of that wild idea that a Christian does not have the Holy Ghost. You do have the Holy Ghost. You couldn't be a Christian unless you did have the Holy Ghost. So if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you right now. Now I'll stop here a minute to satisfy some of you. It's one thing for me to have the Holy Spirit. It's another thing for the Holy Spirit to have me. It's one thing for me to be in my body. It's another thing for the Holy Spirit to control my life. Many people have the Holy Spirit. But a great, are not a great many that, have, that really are really under the complete control of the Holy Spirit. Now somebody illustrated like this, I go out somewhere to a house, man said to me, here's your room, make at home, glad to have you with us. I move into the room and dinner time comes, I go and sit down at the dinner table, I go in the parlor, I have access to about three rooms there. Great many rooms in the house, I never get in at all. And uh, I'm in the house, but I, I'm not in charge of it. But here's another man who says to me, here's the key to my house i just give you the key now. You just move in and take Old make seven home. Yeah, it is. Don't worry. You can just be at home. That's the key. I walk in. I go in the pantry. Go all over the house. I'm in possession. Now, it may be that somebody here today, maybe the Holy Ghost hasn't taken you over. Maybe you've got him in the room of appetite. Maybe you haven't given that room to him. In the room of emotion. Maybe you haven't turned that room over to him. In the room of ambition, maybe you've got a little room of ambition that you've never let him in. He's in there, though. If you're saved, he's in the house. He's in your body. But, you know, a consecrated Christian turns your whole house over to him, opens every room, gives him a key, says, make yourself at home. Now, that's consecration. But you have the Holy Ghost in you if you're a Christian. Now, understand that. I've known people to say to me, I'm begging the Holy Ghost to come in. Are you saved? Yes. But I want a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not a stickler for words. You students know that. I think you know that. I I never have been very technical. But I think I ought to stop here and say this to you. The baptism of the Holy Ghost isn't what you think it is, some of you. Listen, we are baptized by one Spirit into one body. Now, when you were saved, when you found Jesus Christ, you were baptized by the Holy Ghost Into the body of Christ. That's where you got into the body of Christ. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost, technically speaking. I never worry about little technicalities. Now a great many people get an anointing of the Holy Ghost. A fresh anointing of power. Now that's not the baptism. That's the infilling. That's the anointing. That's the equipment that God gives you for service. Uh, That's an entirely different thing. But the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the baptism that comes to every Christian when he's saved as he's baptized by one spirit into one body. Why don't you stick to clear statements? Why do you want to run around all these obscure statements? Pick out your clear statements and stick to those. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Unless you have the Holy Ghost, you're lost. And you have the Holy Ghost, the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now that's a clear word of God. Take this passage. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Now you notice this passage. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now get this straight. Those Corinthian Christians were under indictment by Paul's writing. He said they were carnal. He said they were carnal Christians. Some of them said I belong to Paul. Some said I belong to Paulus. Paul said you're carnal or you wouldn't be divided like me. They still had the carnal nature. Bless don't rest scriptures and I mean they were still carnal Christians. They had not even been suppressed or oh, certainly not eradicated. They were carnal Christians. But Paul wrote these carnal Christians and said, What? Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Didn't you know that you only right? You indwelt by Almighty God. You carnal Christians. You are not having reached a state of perfection. You're not what you ought to be. I want you to get right and get better. You don't have to ask him to come here. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a Not if you're born again. You're not what you ought to be. I want you to get right and get better. But you have the Holy Ghost in you. You don't have to ask him to come here. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a Not if you're born again. He's already in you. Get that fixed for all time and stay out of trouble. That's clear teaching. That's an unanswerable statement. Take this passage. John 14, 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because sees him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know it, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. You know, Jesus had been with the disciples three years. That was wonderful wasn't it? For three years, they'd been eating together, traveling together, sleeping together. They'd watched him perform miracles. He heard him speak as never man speak. There they'd been with him all that wonderful fellowship. One day he said, Now nah, I'm going away. I'll be leaving you. They were sad, who wouldn't be? But he said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna leave you comfortless. I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll come back and be in you. Up until now I've been with you. But I'm coming back to be in you. And he came back in the person of the Holy Ghost and dwelt in their bodies. Christian, listen to me. Hold up your shoulders. Straighten up. You are somebody. God Almighty and the person of the Holy Ghost came all the way from heaven to earth to dwell in your body. Your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Jews in the Old Testament thought it was wonderful that God who had eternity in habit would condescend to dwell in the temple. The temple that man made. Temple made with hands. But in this dispensation, God doesn't dwell in temples. God doesn't dwell in St. Peter's in Rome or St. Paul in London. God doesn't dwell in a church in this time. God doesn't dwell in cathedrals anywhere. The dwelling place of Almighty God on this earth today is in the bodies of his own. The bodies. God, who fills all eternity has a way of coming down into this earth in the person of the Holy Ghost and getting into our bodies. Say, sure made a difference in my life when I saw it. I said, I better think the right kind of thoughts. I better have the right kind of desires and ambitions. I have in my body the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the Holy Ghost. And I have resurrection power in my body. My body is redeemed. And when Jesus comes again, if I'm alive, he'll translate me to meet him in the air. And if I'm dead, he'll raise me from the dead. Young people, you don't have to live a defeated life. You don't have to go down under temptation and the onslaughts of the devil. You have victory in your life. The power of the Holy Ghost. Draw on his resources for victory. It's yours. It's yours. Take this passage. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. That's addressed to Christian people. That's in Corinthians too. Take this passage. What? What? Know ye not. That your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Now, that's in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Those are the Christians that were carnal. They were the ones that were saying, I belong to Paul and I belong to Apollos. Couldn't get along with each other. I like this man, he likes that man. Just like Christians are doing today. Fussing around about nothing, most of them. Now that's the crowd he is talking to, and he said, "Know ye not that your body, your body, is a temple of the Holy Ghost?" Now wait a minute. He didn't say which will be in you, but which is now in you. And you know you have God. You're of God. You're not your own. Say, these are not my hands. They belong to God I have no right to use them in the wrong way these are my feet no not mine they belong to God I have no right to use my feet wrongly my eyes well they're not mine they belong to God I ought to be careful what I see how I use my eyes my ears they're not mine they belong to God how to use them right, this tongue. Oh, this mean, miserable, long, wagging, selfish tongue. That so many professed Christians dip in the slime of slander and go around all this country speaking the death war to the reputation of good people. That's God's organ. Your body. Every member of your body belongs to Almighty God. You've no right to desecrate the holy temple of Almighty God. That's what the Bible says. Take this passage. And whosoever drink of this water that I shall give him shall never thirst. For the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water spring up in everlasting life. You don't have to go up to heaven to pull God down. You have God. If you haven't God, you're not saved. Holy Spirit's God. This is peculiarly his dispensation. He's in the world, dwelling in the bodies of men, outside of sinners, convicting them and wooing them, inside of believers, making himself at home. wonder if you've ever turned everything over to him. Why don't you do it? You know, I'll tell you right now, there are very few people that ever treated this guest right, this heavenly guest. The president of the United States or the king of England or the princess, who's now in Washington, would come to your home today. My, how you'd fix things up for them. You'd clean up the house, wouldn't you? Get things all right. Somebody's come. But humble child of God, somebody's in your body. Why don't you clean up? You know, I want to have the best body I can. I don't eat too much. I'd hate to smoke. I'd hate to do anything to hurt this temple of God. I want to think the right kind of thoughts and be the right kind of person and live the right kind of life. Because my house, my body's God's house. (laughs) So wonderful to get such a thrill, don't you? I wonder if I could take a minute more. I have much more time. But I would like to say a word and then tomorrow I'll take up the rest of it. I need about seven times and I'll give them to you in three messages. The Holy Spirit is the Christian's teacher. I'm going to show you tomorrow, in the first thing I say to you, that you can sit at the feet of the Holy Ghost. He can teach you. And you are not sitting at his feet if you are contradicting the essential fundamentals of the faith. If you are wrong in positions you're taking, you're not sitting at his feet. And I'd like for you to think this over before tomorrow. The Holy Spirit doesn't put one thing in the Bible and do something different in a man's life. A man wrote me, he and his wife were not getting along. And that uh, the Holy Spirit was leading him to divorce his wife and marry another woman. I said... Uh, Say, the Holy Spirit's leading you. said, yes, he's leading you. I said, you can't stand you and slander the Holy Ghost to me. You say your wife's a good woman, not happily married. And you're led to the Holy Ghost. Say, don't be as mean as a devil. Tell anybody the Holy Ghost told you to do it. I'm sick and tired of professing Christians up and down this land going out and saying, the Spirit of God is leading me when I know the Holy Spirit's the author of the Bible, he put things in this book that anybody with any sense can understand. Contrary to what they say the Holy Ghost is leading them to do. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't put one thing in the Bible until you to do something contrary to it. And anything that you do in your life, in this world, contrary to the teaching of the Word of God on the fundamentals, Of the faith then there's something wrong with you not with the Bible. There may be some things that Christians can argue about. They may argue about the security of the belief. They may argue about the mode of baptism. They may argue about some things but the things they argue about have nothing to do with salvation. The things they argue about have nothing to do with the grace of God in the heart because you'll find the saintliest saints in all these different groups. But let me tell you something. I am tired of professing Christians. I meet them everywhere I go, Let's say the Holy Spirit's leading me to do so and so, and I know He isn't. How do I know it? Bible says that isn't so. Now you bring your life in line what the Bible teaches, and if it's a doubtful question, uh, then uh, don't follow the doubtful line of thinking. Follow the Word of God. You won't have any trouble. And you better walk lightly where great Christian people are divided. I'll talk to you about that tomorrow morning. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you to give sanity and fervency and zeal to all of our young people in Bob Jones University. Help us to be faithful to God, faithful to the testimony. And may this day of prayer be a day of benediction and blessing to all our hearts. Keep us ever truly. Pour out upon us the spirit and power of God. We are not worthy. We think about when they told Jesus we're not worthy to have you come into our home. We're not worthy. But think what you've done for us. You washed us in your blood. Cleansed us from sin. Put regenerating grace to our heart. The Holy Ghost moved in. And here he is today in our bodies. Blessed Holy Spirit. We're sorry we ever grieved. you. We're sorry we ever hurt your feelings. We're sorry we ever failed to let you guide our lives. Take us over. Do with us and in us and through us whatever thy will is for our lives. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.